Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Podcast. Trinity Grace is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. We have two services on Sunday mornings, 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. at General Seminary in the Chapel of the Good Shepherd. We would love for you to join us. For more information, go to tgcdowntown.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. Our gospel reading is from John 11. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had seen him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid in f- across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that I, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The Gospel of our Lord. This story of Jesus weeping and Lazarus rising, it's in the very center of the story that John is telling. It offers us wisdom that we need at this moment, especially as our world kind of tilts on its axis and it begins to revolve in almost a seemingly different direction. It's disorienting. It has many of us looking for our bearings. Now this story in our gospel text looks back to the first half of the story, which sums up its important themes. And then it also looks ahead to the second half, which is the passion or the suffering of Christ as he closes in on the city of Jerusalem where political and religious authorities await, ready to destroy him. Now John's story of Jesus is basically told in seven great miracles or signs. We have a sense of them sort of ascending in importance, beginning with Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding party and ending here with ra Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a beautiful way to tell the story. And John also has Jesus offering these seven identity statements. They're known as the great I am statements. And here we find number six. Listen to these words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, in all these seven signs and the seven I am sayings, there are only two times that we have a pairing together. First in John 6, when we have the miracle of the multiplying of the loaves and the fish, and that's followed by Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. And here in John 11, where we see Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life just before Lazarus is raised from the dead. Perhaps the central moment of the other three gospels the Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke, is this moment when Jesus is recognized by his disciples as the Messiah. And in those three, the voice comes from Peter's mouth. And the confession takes place in a, a city named Caesarea Philippi. Now here, in John's story, the story of Lazarus, which we look at today, it contains John's moment of confession. Only here, it's Martha, not Peter, making that claim. Now, I think this is a beautiful story. It's written in stages for us to consider. And really what we want to get to the heart of is the contours of human life that are seen here in the story. Now, at the beginning of the year, we talked about our identity as a church. We're rebranding, uh, we're changing our name to Good Shepherd New York on Easter, which we're really excited about. We didn't anticipate it in this environment, but here we are. Um, we've given this fresh language to our values and to our mission and also to our distinctives. And at the very beginning, uh, when we began this season to talk, we said the entire reason for our existence as a church, that the deepest motive that we have for everything we do can be found in one word, life. And life is the reason that Jesus said he came into the world. He said, quote, I've come that you would have life and that you would have it to the full, end quote. Now, life and fullness are themes that run throughout the story, and they're also present here in this miracle. 
Jesus is showing us moment by moment, story by story, what exactly it means to be human. We see in this story three contours of being truly human that's modeled by Jesus and, uh, and by, in the presence of his friends. And these are contours that we must learn to embrace, I think, like never before. Our moment is demanding that we evolve in our experience of being human. We see Jesus with contemplative depth here. We see Jesus with emotional intelligence. And we see Jesus with a hopeful courage. So I want to trace out these themes. First of all, we start with Jesus and his contemplative depth. Now, the first little clue that we have in the story that Jesus is swimming in pretty deep contemplative waters is in his timing. Watch his pace. Follow how he responds to his circumstances. Listen to the text. I love this. It's Captain Obvious, but it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. And then in the end of the same sentence, it says, Lazarus was ill. So we're like, okay, John, we get it. Lazarus is sick. And this is the circumstance that John is careful to show us that is high stakes circumstance. It's not just any person. This is someone who is dear to Jesus. Now, for many of us, the outbreak of the coronavirus is becoming super real, and it's becoming real one relationship at a time. It's moving from this inconvenient circumstance to a sense of an urgent circumstance. You, have lo you maybe have a loved one who's sick or perhaps has even died. You've lost work or you've seen massive financial losses and you're not sure how you're going to pay your bills or how you'll move on with life as you once knew it. Now, I would like to ask you a simple question. What do we do when we're faced with urgent circumstances? How do we respond? Well, that's exactly what we do. We simply respond. A famous psychologist, Carl Jung, sums up the human experience as the relationship between stimulus on the one hand and response on the other. Now, the unhealthy, the underdeveloped mind simply experiences the stimulus right? The job loss, the sickness, the death, maybe the threat that is right there looming on the horizon. And what do we do? We immediately begin responding. We worry. We try to control. We try to complain or blame or make razor sharp schedules. And then we feel super guilty or shameful that we're not following through on them. We deny or we even medicate. In short, we survive. But as we often say in our community, Surviving is not the same thing as thriving. Jesus isn't inviting us to simply survive. Jesus is showing us how we can thrive. Now, back to Carl Jung. Dr. Jung suggests that the difference between mental health and pathology, or put it in the words of our community, the difference between surviving and thriving is the ability to create space between the stimulus and the response. We, we need to learn how to allow for moments of observation, of reflection. We need to learn how to create space for silence or for solitude or for stillness. Now, I want you to consider Jesus' timing here. Someone he loves is very sick and he receives this news and yet he decides to stay home where he is. He waits and then he decides to go later. So the timing here, the way John's telling the story, is screaming at us, and it's calling us to pay attention to a, a specific thing. 
Jesus is not controlled by his circumstances like some robot, simply responding from one stimulus to the other. No, Jesus shows us what it looks like to have some contemplative depth. It's a depth that not only gives him a different sense of timing, but it gives him a profound insight into the meaning of the moment. He offers that to his friends, Mary and to Martha, and he expresses it beautifully in this one prayer. I want you to hear this prayer. This is right before he raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they would believe that you sent me. Now, Jesus is is portrayed here as dwelling in and dwelling with God in a profound way. And it's that dwelling which is expressed in this prayer as dependence, as a poverty of spirit, as meekness, as a purity of heart. Jesus makes it clear that this isn't a unique mode that only he can experience, but it's something that we are all invited into, to dwell deeply in God, that God seeks to dwell deeply in us. This contemplative depth is a holy collaboration with God. Now, the difference that this contemplative depth makes is that it basically allows us, like Jesus, to sort of dance to different music than that which rings loudly in our circumstances. And right now, our circumstances are definitely beating a certain kind of drum. It's the ability to sort of stop and pause and know God and to feel free from selfishness and to feel connected to the God who made us, the God who loves us, and the God who holds everything together. We see the contrast between the contemplative depth here and this sort of shallow addiction to circumstance in Luke's story of Mary and Martha. Martha is responding to circumstances by just simply getting busy, and she becomes so easily distracted, serving, making sure everybody's taken care of. But it's Mary who sits at Jesus' feet, and this is a radical act of presence. She's showing up for the moment. She's paying attention. Now, if you or I or the church will offer words and actions that matter in this coronavirus moment, it will be because we are flowing and they are flowing from this deepening relationship with God and that our life of prayer is present and active and that our contemplation of Jesus is strong. I think it's in that way that we're transformed. But we're often, unfortunately, an anxious church for an anxious world. And when we're locked into anxiety, we become these slaves to our circumstances, and we lack the energy to love. In fact, we lack mental and emotional health. There's a psychologist that I love, Diana Fosha. She says in her book, Healing uh, the Power of Emotion, uh, quote, along with suffering, psychopathology brings with it an energy crisis. There's a shrinking sphere of life lived with zest. There's a depletion of resourcefulness, and there's a growing sense of restriction on our inner lives. Now, when we are anxious and overwhelmed, when we're locked into responding, it sort of drains us, it constricts us, and we don't want to be people who are preoccupied with our own survival. We want to be a people who are called into a bigger story, who are concerned with the salvation of the world. That's the heart of the church, and the church's calling. Now, I love this quote by Rowan Williams. He says, contemplation is very far from being just one kind of thing that Christians do. It is the key to prayer, to liturgy, to art, to ethics. 
It's the key to the essence for renewed humanity. It's capable of seeing the world and other subjects in the world with freedom. Freedom from self-oriented, acquisitive habits, the distorted understanding that comes from them. To put it boldly, contemplation is the only ultimate answer to the unreal and insane world that our financial systems and our advertising culture and our chaotic, unexamined emotions encourage us to inhabit. To learn contemplative practice is to learn what we need so as to live truthfully, honestly, and lovingly. It is a deeply revolutionary matter. And what Jesus is showing us is that having a deeply contemplative life is in fact revolutionary. Jesus offers meaning here in this moment and importance in the face of what seem like random moments of life. You and I become more human when we can dwell in God and we can gain a sense of meaning in the here and now. So we see Jesus with this contemplative depth in the story, but we also see him modeling an emotional intelligence that frankly is mesmerizing. When we read this story, we love Jesus. In fact, most of us love Jesus for this because when we tried to memorize the Bible growing up, it was the shortest verse that we had to memorize, Jesus wept. So watch what happens when Jesus arrives in the town of Bethany. So Martha, she comes to meet him. She makes her good confession. She says, you are the Messiah. And then Mary comes and she kneels at Jesus' feet and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now listen to Jesus respond in this moment. Pay attention uh, to his emotional intelligence. Quote, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and he was deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. And so the crowd said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. Listen to this language, weeping, greatly disturbed, deeply moved, right? These are words of intense emotion. Jesus is shown to be experiencing the depth of the full range of human experience. Now the word translated here, greatly disturbed, it means to be shaken to your core. And this is the one place in John's gospel where Jesus lays his deepest emotions bare and we are not repulsed. We're actually drawn to him in this moment because that's how vulnerability works. When we're vulnerable, we don't push people away, we draw them in. When we're vulnerable in our prayers, we draw God in. When we're vulnerable with each other, we draw each other in. And the contemplative depth of Jesus has set the tone for him sort of to take this risk of vulnerability, to feel deeply and to trust that that feeling will not be his end. It won't paralyze him, but it will energize him. And so he can take the risk of compassion as well to not only feel his own feelings, but enter into the pain of his friends. And he can take the risk perhaps of, even of anger. Now, many commentators speculate that Jesus is feeling a deep anger right here because you have these professional mourners and they're seen to be intruding on what would otherwise be this tender, intimate moment with his loved ones, his friends. But however you interpret Jesus here, 
There is no question. His emotion is real. His emotion is raw. It is uh, not him isolating. It's not him denying. It's not him bargaining or depressing. Uh, depressing. Um, he has accepted this feeling. And right now, you and I, we need permission to feel. We're all coming to grips with how real the stages of grief really are. A lot of us are, are just reeling right now, looking for ways to, to, to experience our emotions. And as a church, we're providing lots of ways for you to be able to do this. Um, one of our good friends of our community, uh, Andrew uh, Joseph, is gonna be offering these video online therapy groups. And he himself is a therapist in the city who is wonderful and we couldn't recommend him highly enough but he's gonna be pulling men together in these smaller groups in order to lean into vulnerability, to learn how to feel our feelings. And I think this, this moment as a church is filled with so much possibility. You and I, we have the chance to learn how to experience our feelings afresh. Maybe the pace of our lives up to this point in this city has been breakneck, and we haven't really been able to stop and pause and have a healthy relationship with where we actually are. But during this season, we want to take the opportunity, we want to seize the moment and figure out how do we relate to how we feel? How do we experience the vulnerability that Jesus leads us to in this story? We're doing, as, a, as we've been mentioning, uh, a practice called the eights. We're at eight in the morning and eight in the evening. We have an opportunity to connect with each other, to check in on how we're doing. And already, as I participated in these over the past couple of weeks, I felt this wave of connection come over me. I felt a new sense of connection to how I'm actually doing and how I'm feeling. I mean, how often are we doing daily check-ins? Not to, not to mention twice daily check-ins on how we're doing. But this is a moment where we need to learn how to embrace the skill of emotional intelligence. If we don't do this, the cost is too high. For those of us trapped in apartments with lots of people like my family right now, I mean, we are going insane were it not for these kinds of practices and this kind of space. Uh, we're prioritizing therapy. Uh, we have a whole list of therapists that we can recommend to you to help you process your emotions in this time. And we'd love to be able to recommend them to you so that you can meet with them even if it's by phone. Uh, one of the things that we encourage you to in this time, some of you who, who battle with addiction, uh, and here you are in quarantine, locked in your apartment, and you're bored, you're fidgety, and you're finding yourself going back to old thought patterns and thought loops. Like this is a time to lean back into support, to find even digital ways uh, to participate in things like AA. For all of us right now, this is a moment to give ourselves permission to grieve, to give ourselves permission to be angry, to give ourselves permission to be sad, because we're living in a sad moment. And that's what we love about our tradition. Our tradition gives us a sort of beautiful pairing of that contemplative depth and that emotional intelligence. In the Psalms, you have a wide range of, of the psalmist praying the this, this space with God, saying, God, where are you? I thought this was how the world was supposed to work, and it's not working that way. And then you have other Psalms that have been through the depth of terror, even hanging up the phone, so to speak, on God, but then they come through the other side with a hopeful resolution. And that brings me to the last point. We not only see a contemplative depth in Jesus here, we also see him uh, in, with emotional intelligence, but finally we see him with a hopeful courage. Jesus knows before he even announces this miracle, before he you know, actually performs it and everybody is in awe. He knows that this is the one domino 
that will make all the rest of them fall. He knows that after this, there is no avoiding the collision in Jerusalem. And yet Jesus can look at the future on the horizon, one that he knows will will involve his destruction, one that he knows will be dark in some sense, in a profound sense. And he can look it in the face and he can embrace it with courage because he's, he's not ruled by his circumstances. He has a sense of a deeper music that's carrying him forward. There is a deeper joy that's buoyant, that's holding him up, it's keeping him afloat, even in the midst of circumstantial suffering. And it's one of the things that during Holy Week, as we approach next week, uh, that we stand in awe of as Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem and has the sense of the buoyancy of God's joy, the buoyancy of God's love, holding him afloat in the midst of waters that threaten to drown and to overcome. So we see Jesus here looking in the future with a sense of hope and with a sense of courage. And right now, friends, we need that hope more than ever. Uh, It's not denial. It's only denial if we rush right to the hope. But if we can feel our feelings, we'll find ourselves coming to calm. We'll find ourselves coming to curiosity. We'll find ourselves coming to courage. We'll find ourselves coming to that, that true self that's always been there, but has often been untapped. And I think this is going to call the best out of us. And I think we're going to be able to move from self-preserving, from just self-protecting and taking care of ourselves, to really loving and serving our city. And we want you to know there's opportunities to do that. Uh, We're going to be connecting you with so many opportunities. One of those is a house on Beekman. A house on Beekman is uh, one of our partners in the South Bronx. And one of the things that they're doing right now is they're helping buildings that don't have Wi-Fi get it so that kids can get on the internet and can do their schoolwork. They're helping kids who don't have meals or have lost meals through the schools being shut down, make sure that they're fed and taken care of. They're checking in their team with the small group of students that they normally work with every day, making sure that they are seen, that they're heard, that they're connecting with their own emotions in this moment and that they're moving forward in a healthy way. And they're doing a benefit at the very beginning of April um, that we can support. And a lot of you have already been supporting. Whatever it is in this moment that you feel led to, um, we invite you to stretch yourself, to challenge yourself, to give of yourself. But truly, we can't offer anything of worth unless we're cultivating that depth contemplatively and we're also cultivating some emotional intelligence. So let's follow Jesus together as a community in the season Uh, of Lent as we come and look toward Easter to, to be what it looks like to be human in the way of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, guide us as our good shepherd. Give us the resources we need right now for this moment. Help us where we're weak. Help us where we are crushed, where we are vulnerable. Help us to learn how to express it in your presence. Help us to, to create space for those quiet moments of reflection and give us the grace we need by your spirit to love each other well and rise to this moment. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church podcast. Trinity Grace is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you'd like to support us, please text TGC Downtown to 77977. That's TGC Downtown 
to 77977 or visit our website, tgcdowntown.com. Thank you for listening. bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you. And may you be filled with peace, hope, and love.